Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello, my name is Helen. I'm an investment writer at Julius Baer in Zurich, and I'm sitting here today with two colleagues from our fixed income research team in Zurich, Marcus Allensbach and Dario Messi. Hello to both of you, and thank you for taking the time for this podcast today. Hello, Helen. Hello, Helen. Thanks for having us. You're very welcome. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So over the next 10 to 15 minutes, we will discuss the wild swings in fixed income markets over the last few months, We'll elaborate on the current situation and also summarize our views in terms of what investors will have to cope with over the coming months and maybe years. So let's start with a quick review of the year. It's been quite a roller coaster ride for fixed income investors, hasn't it, Marcus? Yes, you can say so, Helen. We can characterize the year with two words, transient and persistent. At the beginning of the year, we hoped that this whole corona story is transient. After we had these vaccinations, we believed after the end of the first quarter, at the second quarter, at the latest, we all are vaccinated and the story is gone. At the same time, the Democrats have conquered the majority in the Congress, and we believe we see persistent changes in U.S. fiscal policy, more infrastructure spending, more social spending. So the sky seemed to be the limit for growth expectations. You saw it on the stock market, better numbers every day, and yields, of course, were driven higher against this backdrop. Take the 10-year Treasury note as an example. The yield almost doubled from 0.9% in January to 1.77% at the end of the first quarter. Yeah, that's a huge move. So if my back-of-the-envelope calculations are right, then that would mean that a holder of 100 US dollars worth of 10-year treasuries in January would only have received about 92 US dollars at the end of March if he had sold then. An 8% loss is really remarkable, bearing in mind that the common understanding is that US treasury bonds are a safe haven investment, so an investment which tends not to fluctuate much in terms of value over time. But to use your words from just now, Marcus, this yield increase hasn't become persistent, right? Not at all, Helen. We all know that COVID restrictions turned more into a more persistent drag on global growth. On top of that, we had these global supply chain disruptions. At the same time, the chances of big spending dwindled on Capitol Hill. So the fiscal stimulus turned out to be only transient. And reflecting all this, the yield of the 10-year note retraced to 1.2% or even below in August this year. I see. Dario, we've been talking about the steep losses of high-quality bonds. What about the riskier segments like high-yield or emerging market bonds? How did they fare during the first few months of the year? Yeah, it was quite a good environment for risk assets. Um, As Marcus just was saying before, the reason that we had for higher yields was really a good one. So this means that uh, we had upside growth revisions every day back then. And This also led to really lower and tightened credit spreads. And this absorbed much of this move that you were talking about before on the benchmark yields. 
So you were able to, to dampen the losses on the treasury through this credit exposure. And this also means that this high debt and outperformed government bonds by a really remarkable margin. And also in line with this, we saw how the global corporate default rate peaked by the end of 2020 and is coming down since then. That's really interesting. Now, there were and still are many voices saying that emerging economies are struggling more in terms of the economic impact of the pandemic. Would you say this is also reflected in emerging market bonds? Yeah, emerging market economies, they always have limited policy room to respond to such crises. They have a big chunk of their liabilities in foreign currencies, which means they are always constrained. They need to to also take care of their currencies. And this means that they have limited policy room when it comes to adding fiscal and monetary accommodation at the same time. It's always a balancing act for these countries. So these higher yields at the beginning, they were also headwind back then. But coupled with this better growth outlook, it was uh, not so bad for emerging market economies. So we saw that after this rather weakish first quarter of the year, they were able to recover this in the second quarter then. Right. And then at some points, yields stabilized and we had a relatively calm summer, but then yields suddenly started to rise again. It seemed to be mainly the sticky inflation in large parts of the developed world, as well as a number of new challenges that just made life more complicated for fixed income investors. Marcus, what's your take on what happened here? Yes, Helen, you hit the nail on its head. In the first six, seven months, it was all about real GDP growth and real bond yields. And now it's all about inflation and how the central banks are going to react on it. Well, we all know some acceleration of inflation was well in the cars, the so-called base effect. But what we see right now is going much beyond that. We have the supply chain disruptions. We have a low production of cars, for example, that drive up prices of used and new cars. We have this energy prices that translates into much higher consumer price readings in Europe in particular, where electricity and gas prices just explode. We have these uh, COVID-related distortions on the labor market. We don't know how persistent the wage increases are in the US, but increasingly also in Europe. All these factors drive inflation expectations higher. Now the big question is, Helen, what are the central banks doing? Some are arguing that the central banks have to deliver even more stimulus to compensate for the higher energy costs and to make sure that we are not having a collapsing economy because the households lack purchasing powers. The other, of course, the more orthodox camp says that inflation expectations are the enemy number one for central banks and that they have to tighten monetary policy in order to keep inflation expectations down. That's the big issue at the moment that explains this volatility. You have the Reserve Bank of New Zealand or the Norwegian central banks already raising rates. You have the Bank of England preparing the ground for rate hikes. You have some people within the Federal Reserve being in the first camp and saying, hey, we have to stay on the sidelines. You have some exponents of the Fed arguing for a rapid rate hikes. And then, of course, the European Central Banks, somewhere here, we expect them to say they stay on the sidelines for some time because the situation in Europe is not as luxurious as it is in the US. 
But overall, we have seen a steepening of the yield curve in recent weeks. And as I mentioned, uncertainty about the reaction function of the central banks. And that means that keeps markets pretty, pretty volatile. Okay, so there are really just a lot of different factors in play at the moment for investors to think about. So, Dario, what happened to credit and emerging market bonds? Credit exposure continued to pay off in relative terms, and at least what we saw so far of the year. We had really a low default rate, and Moody's, for example, the rating agency is even talking about lower default rates going into the next 12 months. So the environment is still quite supportive. But we heard it before from Marcus. I mean, the yield increase is now more about the topic of inflation. And especially when you also look into emerging markets, where this inflation topic is really taking also another stage again. There you see also really high food inflation, which is normally a kind of issue for emerging economies, as it also implies some possible political shifts that uh, would be a really negative for the markets, at least. On top of that, we also had these regulatory crackdowns in China. So all these alarming developments in the property sector around Evergrande, which by now is a property name that I think the whole world knows. It's in the headlines all the time. And in general, this uncertainty around what China is going to do and how their growth outlook looks like is a big drag on emerging markets. And at the end, these economies really benefit from a healthy China. Take the example of Latin America there, you have really a high export share, which goes at the end to China. So when China growth comes down, then a region like Latin America has definitely issues. Great. Thank you very much to both of you for sharing your thoughts. If I were to try to summarize then, this is how things are looking at the moment. So there's a sizable part of the fixed income asset class now trading in negative territory. So naturally, investors might be trying to time a substantial rise in yields back towards normality. But just the number of uncertainties in the current environment is making this a challenge. In general, our economists expect yields to trend higher over the coming months, but the road could be bumpy. So to finish off then, can I just ask both of you, based on this outlook, where do you see the most attractive opportunities for fixed income investors today? Marcus, do you want to go first? Yes, Helen. As you said, bond yields are drifting higher as we have these higher inflation expectations, as we have some fiscal initiatives in Europe, as we expect some fiscal support to come also in the US. At the same time, it remains very challenging to read central banks. Central banks don't have a crystal ball themselves. So it's also very opaque how they read the future and how they react on these inflation developments. So the most important thing for investors is to maintain some flexibility. And for that, we recommend short-dated moderate credit risk. Credit risk still gives you some compensation and remains short-dated because we have this volatility environment. We still believe that long-dated treasuries have a place in a bond portfolio as a source of income and stability in the longer term, but it's just not right the moment to go long duration. That said, we also recommend some absolute return investments, the investments with the negative duration management, which can react on the changing pattern of central bank reactions. 
And Dario, what about your thoughts? Yeah, on the credit side, we still think it makes sense to take at least some risks. But when you look at spreads, so the compensation that you get for these risks here, we just have to admit, I mean, they're extremely low, extremely tight. So the compensation is really limited. Um, this is especially true when you look at the lowest quality depth. So this is where we would say we would avoid to take extra risks on the lowest quality depth, um, the weakest balance sheets. There we think it doesn't make sense at this point. Um, but generally still a moderate credit risk is still really valid in our view. Um, on the emerging market side there, as you just heard before, we have some open questions here. We are getting a bit more cautious. We think there that the Middle East is still a good value play. On the other side, when it comes to China or Asia, our colleagues that are in Asia much closer to it, they think it makes sense to wait for more clarity here, take a step back and have really a broad diversified exposure for the whole region rather than really just concentrating on China. Excellent. Thank you both for the good summary at the end. And this already concludes this edition of the Beyond Markets podcast. I'd like to thank both Marcus and Dario for joining me today and sharing their thoughts on the fixed income markets. And thank you all for tuning in. We do hope that you enjoyed listening to this conversation and we hope that you'll join us again soon. Bye for now. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.